0: Nate, for your kind words. It's good to be with all of you uh, this morning. I'm very excited to be here officially. Like uh, Nate said, this is my first official Sunday on Staff with Grace. Uh, my name again is John Compton, and what I'm going to be here is the church planting resident. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with the term church plant, that just means it's the fancy church word that we use to start new churches. We plant them and they grow. It's very cute. Um, And so the plan is to be here 18 to 24 months, learning the ins and outs of grace, and then find an area and form a people to go and plant a new church somewhere here in the Southeast part of Michigan. Uh, Something I'm I'm deeply passionate about. If you have questions about what that is, love to talk to you about it. So I'll be around in the back uh, after the service. So if you have any questions, uh, just let me know. Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to look at community. And we're gonna look at both the good and the bad, the bane and the blessing of community. But my deep hope is that we would see how the church, the Christian community, is a gift to the world. So we're gonna look at uh, this morning, this passage from the book of James uh, found in your Bible. And you'll feel free to, to flip through there. I think there are Bibles underneath your chairs and in the chair in front of you. James is in the New Testament towards uh, the back. And it's James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. This is James 4, verses 1 through 12. And you can also just read on the screen. It's, it's, that's easy, too. So here are these words from the book that we love. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? you desire but you do not have so you kill you covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures you adulterous people resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to god and he will come near to you wash your hands you sinners and purify you, your hearts you double-minded grieve mourn and wail change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will lift you up brothers and sisters do not slander one another Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you that you are present here with us. And so we ask as we come to you uh, from different places, from full of expectation and hope to despair and worry, that you would meet us, and that your presence through these words and this meal that we are about to share that would lift our anxiety and free us to do good and meaningful and happy work here in this world. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those first four lines of James, of this text, uh, are just such a great picture of our world. There is quarreling and fighting. There is killing in some places because you do not have what you want. This is true in all sorts of different spheres, right? It's true in this political sphere, right? you do not have what you want and it's because of the other people and the other party. So you quarrel and fight. Or maybe this is true of you and your workplace, right? There's always this quarreling and fighting and why? Well, you don't have what you want, right? You want better work. You maybe want better recognition Maybe you want a better salary. And so there's quarreling and fighting. Maybe this is true of you and your family or your other relationships. You don't have the affection that you desire. You don't have the attention that you're longing for. Uh, the, the children in the family are not getting the trust and the respect that they think they deserve. So you quarrel and fight. So what are we to do? What is the church called to do and be in a world that is full of quarreling and fighting? Well, what God has done and continues to do is to create a community to himself that is to bring healing and restoration and true peace to the world. Even from the beginning pages of scripture, Way back in Genesis 12, when the world is in disarray, God comes to one man named Abram. And he creates a deal with Abram. And he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless your family so that your family can bring blessing and redemption and restoration to the whole world, to all the families. And this becomes the people of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament. But Israel stumbles and falters in their calling, so God sends his own son to be the true Israelite, to become the one who through his death and resurrection and ascension is now bringing blessing and restoration to the whole world. And yet, as we look around, we see that the world is not restored as it should be. And again, we see that God has left a community, has created a community to continue this good work. Leslie Newbegin, who's a British theologian, he writes, it is significant that what our Lord left behind was not a book, a creed, a system of thought, nor a rule a lot of life, but a visible community. Now he's not downplaying our book. He's not downplaying the, the church's historic creeds and systems of thoughts, or the rules and disciplines of life. But he's emphasizing that what Jesus left is a visible community to continue his good work in this world to bring restoration and true peace to the whole world. Now, I know that some of you, as you hear this word hear these words, you may internally or maybe externally, I can't see too well, have rolled your eyes. Because you've seen and experienced Christian community that is some of the most toxic and hateful, and just downright mean community that you've ever encountered. I imagine that there are some here today and, and Jesus is interesting to you. You're intrigued by Christianity, but you are deeply, deeply skeptical of the church because you've seen just terrible ways that this church community has torn each other apart and maybe torn others apart as well. And I get it. I'm to be honest with you, I'm always skeptical of church communities because I myself have seen unhealthy and toxic communities in church bodies. I had a a friend um, that I got to know while I was living in New York, and she grew up in a church where her uncle was the pastor. And when she, I think, was like a freshman in high school, it was discovered that her uncle, who was the pastor of the church, had an affair with the secretary. And so he, you know, resigned and was, was removed from the church. And you would hope that what the church would do for my friend and her family would be to rally around them, right? They, they had this huge public scandal that's part of their family. They obviously didn't cause the affair. They didn't know about the affair. And so they're deeply hurting. And so you would think that, that the church would rally around them and comfort them. But they didn't. They threw him under the bus, and they were asked to leave. I had another friend who, uh, when he was younger, he had uh, four teenage children at the time, and he and the new minister that had come, they just didn't really see eye to eye on a bunch of things. Nothing major, just, just personality clashes. And the minister got so fed up that he abused his power, had some secret backdoor meetings with some other leaders of the church, and told this man... That his family was no longer welcome at the church. And so this father had to go to his teenage children and tell them that the church that they had been raised in, that they had friends in, that they couldn't go there anymore. Right? And we all know story after story from the petty, you know, things of churches splitting because they can't pick the new color of the new carpet uh, to the deeply harmful and hurtful things. And yet, I could share, and I will share some. Stories of the beauty of Christian community. And I will say here that in spite of all those terrible things that I've seen and known, I will still say that I believe the hope for the world is the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to look at that, we're going to look at that together this morning of how this community functions in the world. And what this community does is three things. Community reveals, community heals us, and community heals the world. Community reveals, heals us, and then it heals the world. So what community reveals is it reveals our incorrectly ordered desires. It reveals our incorrectly ordered desires. James, in our text, kind of peels back this onion of unhealthy, toxic community, right? On the surface of really bad community is downright violence, people killing each other. And that's because you don't have what you want. And if you peel a layer back, you see quarreling and fighting. And James says it's because you covet, you're envious, you desire what somebody else has. And this is what's difficult about community, about relationships. Right, on one hand, we all deeply desire to be seen and known and loved by other people. And yet at the same moment that we start to enter into relationship with these people, we start to compare, right? And our incorrectly ordered desires, they rise to the surface, right? You don't realize how much you're longing for affirmation and approval until you're around a friend who gets affirmed and approved for how they look, for the work they do, for how much money they make, for the car they drive, for the house they keep. You don't realize how insecure you are and how you're longing for security until you encounter somebody who makes a lot more money than you and you kind of daydream about how secure you would feel, how much anxiety would be lifted from your life if you made as much money as they did. You don't realize, we don't realize how much we're longing for control and power until we have a friend who gets a promotion or has this great job or they get to tell all these other people what to do. And we kind of fantasize what it would be like to have that much control and power. And James says that what happens in these moments when we enter into relationships with people, there is a battle. There's a battle on one hand for to be in relationship with other, and there's a battle against that of these desires within us of wanting what they have that we don't have. And if these desires win out, if our desire for what they have that we don't, if our envy wins, it leads to quarreling and fighting and harm and violence to us, to them, and ultimately to the world. And what James says is the problem is not the desires themselves. He doesn't say, stop desiring. He says that our problem is that they're incorrectly ordered, that we're trying to get them fulfilled and met the wrong way. He says that we do not have because you do not ask God. And he says that when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives, that you would spend it only on your own pleasures. Right? And this is why that the community within churches is almost, as often as toxic as the community of the greater world because people in churches, they will ask God, we will ask God, but we will ask only for ourselves, only to spend on our own pleasures. And that brings harm to our relationships and to the world. But James says, not only will community reveal our incorrectly ordered desires, it beca- can become a pathway to bring healing to ourselves. And this is because community heals us as it points us to the living God. Community heals us as it points us to the living God. Because James says that in that moment, when this battle is waging within us of our envious and covetous desires, and our desire to be in relationship, if in that moment we submit to God, if we humble ourselves, if we turn to Him, God will come near to us and heal us and restore us. Now, a question you may be thinking is, why would I submit to God? Maybe you've been in and out of different church communities, and you can sit there and say, I've tried it. I've tried submitting to God, and my life is still a mess. There's still all this suffering and pain and difficulty, There's still all this quarreling and fighting. Why would I do it? And James gives two reasons. The first reason is that God has created us for himself. James writes that that God longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell within us. The early church father, St. Augustine, prayed like this to God. He says, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We were created for God is the first reason. The second reason to submit to God that James writes is that God is the judge and lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Now, if you're like me and you hear that, you kind of take a step back. Because when I picture God as judge and lawgiver, I picture somebody in kind of a big magisterial robe uh, behind a big desk, um, looking very disappointed. But that's not the image that James has of God. Because the image that James has of God is what has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And what we see in Jesus is that God has come into the world uh, and took on human flesh And that in his own body, Jesus took the destruction and evil and death and sin of the world upon himself and he put it to death in his own body. And he rose from the grave to bring salvation to the whole world. That the way that God is judged, the way that God makes the world right is by taking destruction in himself and transforming it to bring renewal to the world. The 20th century theologian, Karl Barth writes, I am not the judge. Jesus Christ is the judge. The matter is taken out of my hands, and that means liberation. A great anxiety is lifted the greatest of all. I can turn to other more important and more happy and more fruitful activities. I have space and freedom for them in view of what has happened in Jesus Christ. Because the reality is if God is the judge, if Jesus Christ is the judge, the one who makes things right, who brings real justice to the world, that in those moments of frustrated desires, when we're realizing we're not getting what we want, we can have hope and the true hope, the sure hope that God will come and one day he will make things right. And all of our deep desires will be satisfied. I remember uh, I grew up, I have an older brother. And, you know, at some point, like all kids, you reach an age, I don't know what it is, but you reach an age where your parents can leave you at home uh, by yourselves. And, you know, most of the time, this goes okay. Um, But, you know, we're, we're siblings. And I have an older brother, and older brothers do what older brothers do. And but I knew in those moments that if he did something wrong, I didn't have to get too worked up because the reality was my parents were coming back home and they would make right what is wrong. And so I didn't have to get over concerned because I knew that my parents in that situation, they were the judge and they would come back and make things right. And that's an image of what we see in Jesus. That though now things may not be as we desire them to be, we can rest assured that God will become, that Jesus will return and make all things new. And it's community that first reveals these incorrectly ordered desires, but then points to their fulfillment, points to the one who will satisfy all of our desires. And in that moment, our anxiety is lifted and we're free to do happy, fruitful, and important work in this world. And that's how community brings healing to the world. Because community sends us out to bring healing to the world. A good Christian community is one that reveals these incorrectly ordered desires, points to the living God, and then sends us out to bring healing to the world. I think a helpful way to understand how this works is to understand uh, this psychological term called emotional object constancy. And what this is, is it's this reality that when, when we're little, when, when people are, are, are newborns and young, when they get upset, right, a parent goes and comforts them, sings to them, rubs their back, and it calms them down, it soothes them, it lets them know that they're loved and cared for. And over time, they kind of learn to self-soothe, where they internalize this love, that they can know that they're loved even when the one who loves them isn't right there touching them and holding them. And we do this to our children, and as they grow up and they go off to school, those who have been loved well and carry that love with them, they're able to get back up after failing more quickly. Those who have been loved well are able to befriend others because they have this wellspring of love within them. And this carries on throughout our lives, right? I mean, any award show or anytime somebody's ever received a reward, or even for you, you can probably think of this. You can say, I am here today because of the love and support of family and friends who have been there with me, even though they weren't physically in the room with you. And we carry this with us throughout our life. Uh, A great example from uh, literature is from the Harry Potter series. Uh, I won't spoil it for you in case you haven't read it, and you should read it, but I won't spoil it for you. But in the last book, Harry is given this enormously difficult task that you, you just can't imagine being willing to do. And the what empowers him to do it as he is taken through this journey of his past and he sees all the people who have lovingly sacrificed themselves for him. Of the loving sacrifice of his parents, of his godparent, of his uh, favorite teacher and mentor and as he internalizes their love, he is empowered to do the difficult task. And for us today, This is why we always look to Jesus. And we look to the living God who took on the destruction of the world, who sacrificed himself for our salvation and the salvation and renewal of the whole world. And good Christian community points one another to this living God who heals us, who's the true judge, and it lifts our anxiety so that we can do happy and important and fruitful and even difficult work in this world. Because community reveals, heals us, and then heals the world. One of the best examples of this is from the very early church. The church in its earliest days grew at a rate of 40% per decade over three centuries. And this is kind of surprising, given how difficult and hostile the environment was. Uh, One historian, Alan Greeter, he he, uh, describes the situations, and he says basically, look, the early Christians, they didn't engage in public preaching, because it was too dangerous. They didn't have zero evangelists or missionaries that we would ever know by name. They didn't have mission boards, they didn't have books on how to uh, talk to others about Christianity. In fact, after Nero's persecution, the early church, what they did is they closed off their services, their worship gatherings. They met in secret. Uh, The role of deacons at the time was to be bouncers at the door. They weren't to let in unbaptized people because they didn't want to be ratted out and have persecution come their way. Officially, Christianity at the time was a superstition. The elite of society scorned it. The neighbors would do all the petty things to discriminate against Christians. And still, from time to time, Christians were killed for their faith. And yet, despite all of this, the church grew at this enormous rate. Why? Why did it grow? And it was because of the Christian community itself The people were different. The community was different. was something that everybody had longed for. And it changed the world. Another pastor comments that it is the church's concern for the weak and the poor. Their integrity in the face of persecution. Their economic sharing. Their sacrificial love even for their enemies. And the high quality of their common life together. I would add for us in this age... The greatest gift of the Christian community is that it points to the God who lifts our anxiety. We live in a very anxious time, in a very anxious world. And we all know we don't do well when we're anxious. And the gift of a good Christian community is to point to the living God, the true judge, the one who will fulfill all of our desires. And that lifts our anxiety and frees us to do happy and important and fruitful work in the world, because community reveals, heals us, and then it heals the world. So, my thing—I just want you to all to consider this morning—is how can you take one more step deeper into community? How do you take one more step deeper into community? Perhaps you're here and you're new or you've been coming for a little bit, but for whatever reason, you haven't taken that step into joining a community group. Consider talking to myself or or Nate or another member of the staff about uh, finding one of these groups and experiencing it for yourself. Even if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, these groups are a great way to kind of taste what this Christian community can be like. Or maybe you're in a community group and you realize that your guard has been up and you haven't revealed yourself and let yourself be known and seen to these people. Maybe it's time for you to think about what would it look like to lower your guard just a little bit to let these people in? Or maybe you're in the midst of conflict, real quarreling and fighting in your life, whether at home or at work or in your neighborhood. And maybe it's for you to consider with some others, what does it mean in light of God and Jesus being the true judge and lawgiver how does that change your desires and how you quarrel and fight with others? Because community is the place of healing and it's the place to send us out to empower us to bring healing to the world. Leslie Newbegin wrote uh, a few years ago that the number one reason why anybody who's ever come to believe that the gospel of Jesus is true is simply from observing a community of men and women who believe and live by the gospel, as if it's true. That from the first century to the 21st century, that it's not about clever tactics or good advertising or, or some, something in some book, but it's encountering a community of men and women who live and believe the gospel that changes people's lives. And that's why I'm so excited about church planning, Of starting new churches throughout the world because as you start a new community of men and women who believe and live the gospel that point one another to the living god it brings healing and restoration to those lives and that spreads to the world and this is why i believe that the church is the hope of this world because jesus christ is the head he's the king of his church and he will spread from community to community revealing healing us, and sending us out to heal the world. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for this world that you have made and for its beauty and wonder. And we thank you that when the world fell into evil and was marred by sin and destruction, that you did not abandon the world. But you entered into it in your son, and in your son took on the destruction of the world and his death and resurrection, and you rose to new life, bringing healing and renewal by your power through your spirit. And God, we know that through your son that we will never be forsaken. We will never be forgotten because you love us. And so God, we ask as we get ready to come to your table, that you would by your spirit turn this bread and this drink into the body and blood of Christ that we would commune with you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.